The Christian life is, aside from God himself, the most glorious thing in the world. You say, how's that? I mean, that's a pretty profound statement. That's a pretty bold statement. Can you back it up? I, yeah, I believe I can. In our, last, in our passage last Saturday night, there was an interesting phrase in the last verse that we referenced that I really didn't get a chance to touch on. I was not able to delve into it, but I will hear. Peter said that the Christian life, being begotten again by the Father, or as Jesus would put it, born again, into a living hope that results in the Christian life, the very gospel of Jesus Christ itself, is something that, and I quote Peter here from verse 12 of chapter 1, and I'll have it on the screen, these are things which angels desire to look into. These things, the things of the gospel, the things of the Christian life, the things of redemption of human beings on the face of the earth is something that angels desire to look into. Now, angels are pretty glorious creatures. They are direct creations of God, and they have a splendor and a power that is amazing by our human standards. First, they're glorious. Angels are glorious. When angels appear to men and women throughout the Bible, they are so glorious and amazing in their appearance that their very presence elicits one, elicits one of two responses, fear or worship, and sometimes both. There's generally fear, someone just cowering in fear at the very sight of an angel, or just falling on your face to worship. An angel, and of course, an angel, not a rebellious angel or a fallen angel, will reject the worship. But any angel of God who receives worship is, in that sense, a fallen angel because they are taking away the, from the worship of the one true living God. So angels are pretty glorious. They're pretty amazing. They're powerful. When folks in the Bible have seen angels, they're usually gripped with fear at their amazing sight. And other times, people have just dropped to their knees to worship them. They're glorious. Now, second, the second thing about angels is they're powerful. Not only are they glorious in their appearance, but they're amazingly powerful by human standards. Uh, angels are tremendously powerful. How powerful? Well, one angel in the Bible put to death 185,000 men. I'll have the reference on the screen there. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35. It says this, That night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. Wow, why are you bringing that up? I'm bringing it up for this reason. I want to show you that angels are glorious, and I want to show you that they are powerful, and that there's something that these glorious and powerful creatures that they want to look into, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the redemption of mankind, human beings, men and women, who will call upon the name of the Lord. They want to look into it. They want to look into it. So it's, 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 it's interesting when you think about that. They marvel at the gospel message. And if they do, we should too. 
Amen? If angels marvel at it, we should marvel at the gospel as well. We should be in awe of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved us. So then there becomes a proper response to the gospel. To be in awe of the very gospel of Jesus Christ, the things that angels desire to look into, there's a proper response to the gospel. When we just get a touch of the weight and the glory of of what the gospel is and what it has done and what it means, there is a proper response. What is the proper response to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? To live the Christian life holy and pleasing before the Lord. In other words, to live it, to live the gospel, to obey it, to live for Christ, to live for Jesus, to give your all, give your life to the Lord and live it to the full for him. That's the only proper and logical response when we think about, when we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an incredible thing. The proper response of the gospel, to receive it, to obey it, and to live it. Tonight, we're going to take a look at living the Christian life and what the Apostle Peter has to say about it in our text in 1 Peter. If you're taking notes tonight, I have just one point. Everybody said amen. (laughs) One point. The first one is live a separated life. Live a separated life. Let's pick it up. Verse 13 of 1 Peter. It says this. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. To live the Christian life, to live it, to respond correctly to this glorious gospel, that which angels want to look into, you just need to live it and you need to live a separated life. To live the Christian life is to live a separated life. To live a Christian life is to live a separated life. The first step in living a separated life is this, Peter says, gird the loins of your mind. This is the first step in living a separated life. Gird the loins of your mind. You say, what? I don't use the word gird. I don't use the word loins. What in the world are you talking about? This is craziness. What what is this all about, girding the loins of my mind? What is gird? What is it to gird? Well, let's just take a look at this. (laughs) Gird the loins of your mind. Girding your loins is actually an image taken from the Old Testament Uh, just actually ancient times. People would gird their loins. And the image here, I believe, that Peter would be using is an image taken from the way in which the Israelites were instructed to eat the Passover 
when they were going to be delivered out of Egyptian bondage. You remember, you'll recall, there in the book of Exodus, Moses received the instructions for them on that, that, that night in Egypt where they were to eat the Passover lamb, and they were to take the blood of that lamb that, was, that, that they roasted in fire and that they ate that night. They were to take the blood and they were to put it on their doorpost. But one of the instructions in that particular passage on the Passover that night was they were also to gird their loins. They were to eat the meal in haste. They were to gird their loins. In other words, the imagery, the, what they were instructed to do is to be ready for their flight out of Egypt. No, it wasn't a flight on a jet, but it was going to be a flight out of Egypt as God was going to do an incredible work of redemption, of bringing them out of the Egyptian bondage that they were in so that they were to gird their loins. And so... You have the picture here of girding the loins of your mind. And the idea there that Peter's getting at is to, to, to be ready in your mind. To, to, to gird the, the loins of your mind is to, is to really to be ready with your, with your, with your mind, to, to, be, uh, to, to get away anything that would inhibit uh, the walk that you're about to be on. And the Christian life is a walk. And so girding the loins to, 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 to walk in haste was a way to, you know, it was kind of like, uh, you know, for ladies, I guess, it's kind of like hiking up your skirt, right? You're going to hike up your skirt. You're, you're out on the church picnic or something. You're going to have a ladies, uh, you know, race or something. And all the ladies are kind of hiking up their skirts so they can run because you can't really run in a skirt, right? No, you can't run in a skirt. So you've got to hike that up a little bit and run. And that's the idea. And if we're going to gird the loins of our minds, we've got to, we've got to kind of get, get things away that, are, that might inhibit the walk as we're going to walk for God, as we're going to live for God. We've got to gird the loins of our minds. The first thing in living the gospel is to be ready. They were to be ready to, 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 to walk out of Egypt. They were to be ready to literally pick themselves up and walk out of Egypt. And we've got to be ready to walk. And in order to be ready to walk, we've got to be thinking the right way. If you're going to live for Christ, if you're going to live the Christian life, you've got to think the right way because the world has its way that it wants you to think. The world is putting its message out to you through everything today. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it's, we talk about it all the time, about even young people growing up today and the bombardment of the information that they have to, the, it's literally an assault of, 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 of media and information. And to even think about as a young person trying to wade through all that. But the way to wade through it as a Christian is to say, I'm going to be ready in my mind to live for Christ. I'm going to get things out of the way so that I can walk for Christ. I can gird the loins of my mind. Be ready in your mind. If you're going to walk a long distance, you gird your loins so that your long coat, their long coat, was not in the way of their strides. The question for us today as Christians, as we're walking the, the, the walk with the Lord, is what's in the way of your stride? Is there anything that's kind of in the way? You've got you've to think about these things. You've got to look at it from a, a, a critical mindset. You've got to think about it from, a, from a, 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 a clear mind to look at what's going on in your life. There's something that's tripping you up. You got to be mindful of it. You got to look at it and say, hey, this thing's tripping me up. If you were literally physically tripping every time you walked out of the house, you know, you, you had some type of carpet snag or some type of something in the way, you'd fix it, right? You'd say, you know what? I don't want to stumble out to the car every day. It's the same way in our walk with Christ. 
we're walking in Christ, we want to get those things out of the way and be mindful of those things so that we can, that we can walk with Jesus Christ. As you begin to walk with Jesus, you learn the Word of God and you discover that some of your thinking doesn't line up with the Word of God. You realize as a Christian, you start looking into the Word. You're going to follow God and you look into the Word and you realize that, and this is where you, know, you either go one of two ways. You either, you either just kind of cringe at the Word of God tell, you know, coming against your thinking or you say, hey, I got, I got, to, I got to do something from a mental standpoint to, 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 to take this in and to realize that the Word of God is going to teach me how to think in many ways. It's going gonna, it's gonna to prepare me in teaching me how to think about things so that when things come up in my life, I'm ready to be able to make the right choice, to be able to make the right decision because I've, I've girded the loins of my mind. Yeah, sometimes our thinking doesn't line up with the Word of God. And when that happens, when you realize that, you don't change the Word you don't change the word to align with your thinking. You change your thinking to align with the word. Amen? And, and that's what Paul's talking about, Peter's talking about here. He's, he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. You know, you, we've got to be sharp about it in that sense. You change your thinking, you change your mind. You change your mind. And you know what? This is really what repentance is all about. You know, the first word of the gospel, the first response to the gospel is repent. When Jesus came, when he began preaching the kingdom of heaven, what did he say? Repent. Repent. John the Baptist preaching repentance. What is repentance? It is this. It is the changing of your mind. We think of, think of it um, in our modern church history as being, uh, you know, well, I walked to the front of the church one time, and I was sorry about my sins, and I repented. You know, that's where I repented. And, you know, and we think of it in those terms. And, and I guess that's fine to a certain degree. But to really get down into what it means to truly repent, it means to change your mind, that you are changing your mind to obey the gospel. And that is the idea here that Peter is getting at. Gird up the loins of your mind and, and get your mind in line with the Lord and with his word. Again, this is the real this is the essence of living a life of repentance. And you see, we're not repentance changing your mind to walk with God is not I don't think it's just something that you did uh, way back in the day. I think it's something that you continue to walk in repentance. Amen. You continue to walk with your mind girded so that, you know, because you will find you will find as you go along that some of the thoughts of the world, some of the ideas, some of the philosophies, well, this guy over here said this, and, and that sounded pretty good. And this politician over here said this, and, and it seemed to make some sense. And sometimes we've got to realize that even as we've walked with Christ for years, that sometimes the philosophies, the mentalities of the world creep in. And that's why I think that repentance is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of repentance, of changing our mind, of keeping our mind girded in that sense. Amen? And, and focused on living for Christ. We're called as Christians to live a life of repentance, a life of being in agreement with Christ, to say, I, I'm not going to be able to walk this walk perfectly, Lord, but I want to walk it with you. 
I may not in my own strength be able to walk it perfectly, but I want to walk it with you. And there's a, a famous verse, it's somewhat famous, in the Old Testament, in the book of Amos, and it says this, we'll have it up on the screen for you, it's Amos 3, verse 3, it says this, can two walk together unless they are agreed? And so, you know, if we're going to walk with the Lord, if we're going to live the Christian life, if we're going to live it, then, you know, we've got to agree with him, <laughs> you know? He, he, he's, not, he's not coming to us and saying, well, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you, Charles. Wherever you want to go, you just go. You just do whatever it is you want to do, Charles. You just go. No, no, the Lord's not saying that to me. The Lord's saying, I, I want to be your leader. I want to be your shepherd. I want to be your Lord. I want to be your savior. I want to be the Holy Spirit is our guide. He's going to guide us into all truth. He's going to order our steps because we're righteous people. And if that's the truth, then he's asking us to be in agreement with him. Amen. And that takes a decision of the mind and heart to do. It's a great verse for marriage, actually. Married people out there, you have to agree, right, to walk. And sometimes it's, there's not always that agreement, amen? And you've got to agree. Sometimes you've got to go to Wendy's and get a Frosty and talk it out, Amen? You know, sometimes you got you to gotta go up to Wendy's, get a Frosty, and get the checkbook out and say, this is what we're going to do. Amen? Because let's face it, you know, most of the marital problems, you know, centered in and around the finances. Amen? And so, you know, Mary Jo and I have had, we've had a few conversations over a Frosty <laughs> with the checkbook. Amen? <laughs> Trying to come into agreement. Amen? So we can walk together. So we can have a plan. And God's got a plan. God's got a plan. And he's asking us to be in agreement with him. He's asking us to walk with him, to walk for him. And that's what it means to live the Christian life. Amen? What are some of the ways of thinking that you need to change? What are some ways of thinking that may be in your life that you need to change in terms of walking with the Lord? You know, sometimes people want to, they, they want to walk with the Lord better. But they don't want to be, they don't want to gird the loins of their mind and be sharp in their mind to take a look at what they're doing that's actually the thing, the very thing that's, that's tripping them up. And, 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 and we've got to take a look at it from that standpoint. How can you sharpen your mind so that you can walk with Jesus Amen. Amen. Now, Peter goes on. Look at that, verse 13. Where was he? He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Be sober. The opposite of sober is drunk, <laughs> right? You said, yeah, okay, Charles, good job. Good for you. How long did that take you? Yeah, dictionary.com, sober, okay, thesaurus, okay, you know, antonyms, synonyms. No, the opposite of sober is, is drunk. And to be drunk is to, is to not have control of your faculties. It's to not be in control of yourself, to not have control of your mind. 
And Peter here is saying, you've got to gird up the loins of your mind and you've got to be sober. You've got to be in control of your faculties. You've got to be in control of your mind. Be sober. To be sober, it also means, it means to be serious. To be serious. You know, living the Christian life is it's a serious thing. It's nothing to be taken lightly. It's nothing to be kind of laughed at or scoffed at. People will laugh at it. And they'll say, oh, you're a Christian. <laughs> no, it's actually a serious thing. It's, it's a decision of a human being that's saying, I'm going to follow the Lord of glory. I'm going to follow the Son of God who came to this earth and gave his life for me. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be a Christian. And, and it's a serious thing. Now, you'll remember, I don't know if there are any Batman fans out here. Any? Yeah? Batman? Yep. There's been so many Batmans. What? He's got a Batman shirt. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Stand up. Stand up. Show everybody your Batman shirt. Yeah. We planned that out. We planned that out that he... No, no. I I did not know he was going to have the Batman shirt on. There's been so many Batmans, right? There's been, you know, there's been Val Kilmer and then there's been... Man, there's been so many Batmans, I, I, I've lost count of all the different Batmans. But in, in one of the recent reboots uh, of Batman, you'll remember the Joker. And that was played by Heath Ledger. You remember that? And you will remember, if you've seen the movie, the, there was a scene where the Joker is actually telling the story of how he actually had his uh, face cut. And you know what the story was? I, I, did, I didn't have this in my mind. I looked it up, okay? I, had, I Googled this and, and, and said, uh, you know. He was telling the story about how his father was in a drunken rage. And he was going to do harm to his mother and he, uh, physical harm, violent harm. And he looked over at, the young man who became the Joker, and he said, he looked over and he's just stunned by the the rage that his father's in, this drunken rage. And he looks over at him and says, why so serious? Why so serious? And he, he, he cut his son's, now of course this is all, it's all a movie, folks, okay? But the point, the point that I'm making is that sometimes there, there are people, and Joker actually became the character that actually ended up trying to make light and, and fun of everything um, because it was the only way he knew to deal with it. Now, we know that from the character Heath Ledger, he got so deep into that character that I don't, I don't know what happened. People are, don't, you know, there's speculation on what happened with Heath Ledger, but you, of course you know that he committed suicide after playing that particular role because it was such a troubled role. And the point I'm getting at here, you say, what, get to the point here, Batman and all this, the Joker, what are you trying to say? The point I'm trying to say is that we, we, the, the, the Christian life is a serious thing, and we've got to be serious about it. Now, there are, there are times, you know, in our lives, there are, there's a time and a place for fun, for just laughing, but there are some times that people have a mechanism in their life to never allow things to, be, to get to that serious point. There's a mechanism that they have. It's a shield. It's a defense mechanism. It's, it's, it's we're going to just laugh at everything because we really don't ever want to get it down, boil down to the serious nature that it is. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is as serious as it gets for you. 
It's as absolutely as serious. There's nothing more serious. And we need to be sober about it. We need to be serious. I mean, we can have a good time, and, and there's, a, there's a place for laughter and a merry heart, and, and this is not being serious about the gospel. is not taken away from, you know, having a good sense of humor and, and laughter. There's a proverb that says, laughter or a merry heart does good like a medicine. And I'm a firm believer. I think you should laugh every day. I think, I think you know, you need, to, you need to have a good sense of humor and find something, something that, that, that's, that, that, that's joyful and, and merry and laughter throughout the day. But, Christian, we need to realize we need to be sober. We need to be serious about our Christian life because it is serious. And that's part of this whole thing of girding the loins of our mind, being sharp in our mind, making that decision, agreeing with God, agreeing to walk with God, being sober. If you're, if you're drunk or you're out of control, and, and if you, you, you translate that over into the spiritual application, you can be out of, out of control spiritually. And God wants us to be in control. He wants us to be sober. And, and so that's what... what uh, God wants for our lives, to be sober, to be sober, to be in control mentally of what we're doing, and it's so important. And then he goes on, look at that verse 14, or the rest of 13, he says, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we're to gird up the loins of our minds to, to be sharp in our minds, to, to make that decision, to, to, to be girded and ready in our minds. We need to be sober, and then we need, to, we need to take our life and we need to rest in the grace, the, the grace of Jesus in our life. We, we rest our hope on Jesus' grace. Peter has told us a lot about God's grace. He greeted the people of this letter in the grace of the Lord in verse 2. He told us that the grace that came to us in Jesus, predicted by the prophets of old in verse 10, and now he goes further, writing of the grace that is to be brought to us when Jesus is revealed at the revelation, the unveiling, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and so we need to rest our hope in Jesus' grace, in Jesus' grace. The only way we will be able to stand before Jesus on that day is because of the unmerited favor that he gives us and then he will give us. The only way that you're going to live this Christian life, the only way that you're going to receive everything that you have is if you rest your hope on the grace that Jesus has for you. Amen? Now, grace isn't something that is only in the past. We think of we received the grace of Jesus when we got saved, when we, got, when we were born again, when we came to be a Christian. We received the grace of God. But grace isn't just for the past, when we first gave our lives to Jesus. It isn't only for the present. Some say, well, maybe it's for the past and the present. We received the grace of God in the past, and we're receiving the grace of God today. But it's not just for the past, and it's not just for the present either. It's also for the future. There's, there's a future grace that God is going to give us. So grace is past, present, and future. And, you know, there's something about that that's just tied up in the very character of God. Amen? You know, he, yesterday, today, and forever, you know, that, that whole idea. And, and the grace of God is like that. 
It's what we received yesterday from God. It's what we're receiving today. And we're resting our hope in Jesus' grace that's going to be given to us when Jesus is revealed. Amen? And so, Christian, there's no other place to to rest your life, to rest your hope, to put your hope in no no place else but in the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's just just where you want to be. We stand in the grace of God. That's what the, the... Paul told the Romans in chapter 5. It's literally by, the, it's by grace that we even stand. Uh, I re- remember a great song by Keith Green. Um, maybe you can look it up. I, I, I was always a big Keith Green fan, but he wrote a great song, The Grace by Which I Stand. And it talks about just, it's, it's, but for the grace of God, I would surely fall away. But for the, but for the grace of God by which I stand in him and to walk with him. Amen? So we stand in in the grace of God, but we're also looking forward to the future grace. And that is going to be revealed in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? And that is going to be so awesome. It's going to be incredible, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Peter says here that we should be obedient children. Look at that, verse 14, verse 13. He says, uh, to rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And so Peter says here that we should be obedient children not conforming ourselves to former lusts. So part of walking in the grace of God, part of standing in the grace, receiving the past grace, receiving the present grace, and putting our hope in Jesus to receive the future grace that is going to be brought into our lives, we continue forward in living the gospel by walking as obedient children, obeying the grace of God in that sense, obeying the gospel, being obedient children. He says, not conforming ourselves to formal lusts. Paul, as you know, in his letters, makes many of the same statements that we're not to continue in, in the, the, the ways in which we used to live. The, the, he says the former lusts, the things of the world, the ways of the world. We're not to continue in those ways. We're, we're called out of the world. We're called out of the world to be his, to be his, in his family, to be in his kingdom, to be his children. We're not only called out, but he literally makes us his children two ways. He begets us again. We're born again of the spirit, but he also adopts us as sons and daughters. I mean, we're adopted, we're begotten, we're born again. We're in the family of God. And because we're in the family of God, we're to, we're to, we're to be his children. We're to walk and, and, and live for Christ as, as his kids. As his kids, I, I remember when we first planted the church over in Orlando, and uh, we had a couple, a young couple, come into the church, and they actually had the the vanity plate on their on their truck. I'll never forget it. Said King's Kid, you know, and I and I was like, yeah, I I really liked that. That you know, it, it, it kind of puts it all under perspective. You know, I'm I'm a King's kid. I, I'm I'm his kid. I'm his child. I'm his son. And, and we're to walk as obedient children. In that sense. And I believe that that obedience flows out of the grace of God. You say, really? How? Well, that's what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 
Verse 11, I'll have it up on the screen for you. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So the grace of God has appeared to the world, and this grace of God, it teaches us something. When you receive the grace of God, it teaches you how to live. Teaches you how you need to live, how you need, how you need to walk, how you need to proceed in your life. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. We just covered that, right? In Peter, righteously and godly in the present age. And so it's the grace of God that teaches us how to live for God. Amen? Amen. The grace of God teaches us. Now I want you to look back at that word as in verse 14. He says, we're to rest our hope, verse 13, rest our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. As. As. You, you, to conduct yourself as obedient children. That, that's what you are. We're, we're his kids. And so we're to conduct ourselves as, as obedient children. We're, we're his kids. He's our father. We're the son. You're the daughter. You're the son. You're, you're to conduct yourself as his kids. You see, the, the, when you really kind of begin to understand this, the father wants to teach you as his son, as his daughter, as his children, how to walk, how to live by his grace, being poured out into your life. He wants to do it in your life. And, and so we need to conduct ourselves as his kids. You're God's children. This is who you are. And Peter goes on. He says, so do all this because he who called you is holy. So you be holy too. So this is where it connects. And I'll, and I'll draw it to a conclusion here. The Father is holy. The Father is holy. And what that means, holy, in the Bible there, it actually means, it's actually the idea of being set apart. It's actually being separate. To be holy is to be separate. God is holy. He's separate from his creation. He's separate. He's different than the creation. He's separate. He's holy. And because the Father is holy and we're his children, he's called us to be a part of his separateness. He's called us to be a part of his differentness, his apartness from the rest of everything else. Why? Because we're his children. We're his sons. We're his daughters. So as the Father is holy, you are to be holy too, to be separate as I am holy. So you be his children, you be holy too. Now, one more movie reference. Amen? One more movie reference. This is, a, this is a good oldie. Karate Kid. Karate Kid. You will remember that Mr. Miyagi taught Daniel LaRusso karate. Right? Mr. Miyagi taught Daniel LaRusso karate. And there is a scene in the movie where Daniel asks Mr. Miyagi, he says, where did you learn this from? And you know what he said? father teach, <laughs> right? His father taught him. His father taught him. 
And now he's teaching Daniel. And that's exactly what the Lord is doing with us. The Father who is holy is teaching us to be separate and holy as he is holy. And so just as, as Mr. Miyagi told Daniel, hey, my father taught me. Father teach me to do karate. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, teach. He's teaching us. Amen? And He's calling us out. And He's calling us to be separated. Amen? Christian, we're called, to be a, we're called to a different life. We're called to a separate life. There's much more that I could go into there. I mean, there's a lot there. Um, but we're called to be holy, to be separate, to be consecrated to God. And then, let's finish it up. There, verse 17, it says, And if you call on, on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And so there's this idea that as we're living for Christ, as we're walking with Christ, that we call on the name of the Lord. And if you call on the name of the Lord, the admonition to you is to, is to realize that God's a righteous judge and he's calling you out. He's calling you to his separateness. He's calling you to walk with him. He's calling you to live it. He's calling you to live the Christian life. And if you'll come out and to be with him, he's going to do some incredible things in your life. And he's going to do incredible things in the lives of your family and those around you. And I believe he wants to do it. But you've got to, you've got to call upon the name of the Lord. And you've got to come to him and walk with him. Amen? Amen. And conduct yourself all of your days here just in the fear of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And he's a good God. He's a good God. He's an awesome God. We're to, we're to have that reverence, fear and awe, and to realize his great love. Amen. 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 Living it, living the gospel of Jesus Christ.